bad news cast. We're doing obscure stuff. Trap with Bruce is a god Campbell and Walter Nuclear Wessel Skonig. Composition unknown. Probable origin Earth's moon. The crew of the space shuttle Camelot has just brought back a little present from the moon. Organic remains human. He's 14,000 years old. Tissue reconstruction. And now it is free again. To seek. There's something in the corridor. To hunt. Something huge. Keep it together. Keep it together. To kill. We want to establish contact. Let's see, sir. Give us a sign. Get the son of a... Out of the darkness. What the hell have we got here, Jason? It called him to set it free. A base. And we're being invited in. Argo team, do you read me? Please respond. She's alive. Something pulling me out of orbit. I'm going down. In outer space, on the outer limits, one man from our time, one woman from another. We're in their ship. That's what we are. Spare parts. Together, they must face the ultimate challenge. Moontrap. Summary is a space shuttle returns to Earth, and some equi odd equipment's brought back with it. And, well, turns out there's, like, something strange, I guess I'll say. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they have to go back to the moon to find out what exactly is going on. So... With me, I have General Lots, Wolfman, Ooh. and we have a special guest, Raynek. Hey. Would you recommend Moontrap? Actually, yes, I would. Um, this film, for its budget, actually does really well with what they have. Um, all the effects are practical. This is before the days of CG and most major motion pictures. You could do it, but you couldn't do it on this budget. And all the practical effects, barring two, look good. The story is very solid, and... The cast is well done, well chosen. All right, and lots of... Oh, Moontrap. You know, I did not realize what I was watching until I was watching it. Uh, when you mentioned Moontrap, I just kind of... The, the name went in one ear, not the other. Then I, started, then I started watching. I was like, oh, I saw this as a kid. And this is actually a movie I've been trying to find for some time, actually. Uh, mainly because I remember The Naked Robot... Followed by the beat up spaceship uh, that the space shuttle was looking at. But anyway, I don't think do she's I a recommend robot. it? I thought she was a robot. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Overall, uh, I do recommend Moontrap quite a bit, actually. I mean, just little flashes of it stuck in my mind for like over 20 years. So that means it has to be at least somewhat memorable. Uh, the acting was pretty good. Uh, Walter Koenig is much more versatile than people give him credit for. And overall, this is a movie that uh, is surprisingly good, like a lot of those late-night cable movies from the uh, late 80s, early 90s uh, were. 
and Wolfman. Uh, recommendation, definitely. I mean, you know, it's funny. When I sat down and watched this movie, it reminded me a lot of uh, Virus, which came out somewhere near the year 2000. And it actually, come to think of it, Virus is actually a ripoff of this because this came out in 89. So there's that. But I mean, yeah, it, Bruce Campbell kicks ass. The special effects were really, really good. I like the model work. The um, music was great. It made a really good atmosphere. The set design was really good. It was competently directed. It's just, it's a movie that you can't necessarily take seriously. And if it had a higher budget, it would have made the movie a lot better in terms of quality. But you can't really call it a B-horror movie. It was really well done. I liked it. Do you have any other messages for the fans of Moontrap? I think anybody who likes sci-fi will like this movie. Uh, it's a it's a very interesting story. I haven't really seen that angle done before, um, and it's uh, I think it's it's fun sometimes watching obscure movies because they can be entertaining in their own special way. Um, and this film hasn't been out for a while, I don't think, so it's good to kind of get it reintroduced into people's brains. Maybe we'll see how they accept a twenty six year old. Uh, sci-fi movie with especially with how different they are now I can't even imagine it'll probably be very nostalgic watching it it'll make you think of all your favorite movies from the 80s or something I don't know I'm sure it looks like an 80s movie <laughs> you know I don't know we'll, we'll see uh, time will tell movies tend to age well or not age well I think this one has aged pretty well because at least it's an interesting concept that if it's not the biggest budget at least you know, Tex Ragsdale and Bob, they, they told an interesting story, I thought. And, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I'd recommend it too. I think, uh, both, uh, Walter and Bruce have great chemistry together. And I think the plot was fun. It was that perfect level of being a bit ridiculous and trying to keep the scare serious. Uh, but it was very, uh, imaginative and inventive too. Um, and yeah, it did remind me a lot of uh, Virus and uh, another uh, little movie called uh, Hardware. You know, I wonder, I'm pretty sure Moontrap did come first, but I believe Virus was a comic series before it was adapted into a film. It was, but it was a comic series from the 90s. Right. Uh, I was pretty much a comic store rat at the time, just before I you know, started working at Namco, and then later on worked at said comic shop. Um. The comic in the 90s was good, but vastly different than this. Right. And I, um, and then of course, you can also factor in the Borg, you know, being an inspiration for a virus as well. And I'm pretty sure Moontrap came before the Borg episodes. Yeah. Um, it, Borg? This game also, this uh, movie also inspired the Strode hmm. from Quake. Uh, the Borg from uh, Star Trek. Yeah, you know what's Christian. kind of ironic? What was Walter Kahn again? That Trek series. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He's some kind of astronaut on a Star Trek. There um, you go. <laughs> There's something else. Uh, okay, so enough about Virus, even though <laughs> that's like the movie Jamie Lee Curtis hates. Some people yeah, like it, I some people why. don't, but that's an, that's for another day. Anyways, so yeah, I'd recommend it, and I guess we'll go into spoilers and start from the beginning. Take it away, lots. All right, so Moontrap begins in 1969, during the last phase of the Apollo 11 mission. 
You get a robo-eye popping out of the thing, notices the lunar module taking off, and the eye buries itself again. I really love uh, movies where the moon has some kind of alien on it. It's just something about the moon being barren and lifeless, just kind of boring in real life. I like the idea of there's something that's actually there. Uh, then, of course, we have the space shuttle. Now, the space shuttle model actually looks pretty good, uh, especially for 1989. But I do love the name, though. The name is hilarious. It's called the Camelot, instead of something more reasonable. It's one of those uh, interesting. It's one of those interesting things that has aged kind of poorly with the uh, shuttering of the space shuttle program. All the fake space shuttles that were never made, uh, like the Camelot, the Daedalus, all these fanciful names that are a lot cooler than some of the ones we actually got. Uh, That's the last ship I want to be on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that scary. No, it's not the scary part. It's the whole being torn limb from limb part. Eh, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Okay, so... The mission commander for the Space Shuttle Camelot is Walter Koenig. Jason Grant. Which is a hilarious name, to say the least. Like, Jason Grant is the shuttle commander. <laughs> anyway, they discover a mummified human corpse, and they uh, bring it back to Earth, because that's what you'd want to do. Like, okay, you've got alien crap, right, coming from an alien ship. The first thing you want to do is take it out of the planet, so it might potentially contaminate the entire planet and wipe out humanity. Sounds like a good idea to me, right? Well, we do have quarantine status, but the thing is, for plot contrivances, the quarantine status has been reduced from a one-week process to literally just a couple of hours. And so, of course, all the various ships and things of that nature were uh, from the moon, because in the past, 14,000 years ago, there were aliens on there for whatever reason. As you would expect from a horror-based film, we, of course, have the mummified body coming back to life, and it builds itself a cybernetic body from parts of the lab. And uh, basically, we've got a moon morg. And, of course, it goes on a rampage and starts killing everything in sight. A zombie moon borg. And then... Which, it's up to Bruce Campbell, Ray Tanner, to take care of business. <laughs> which is kind of interesting. They... It's assumed that this is, like, set during the 1980s, and so somehow there's an Apollo rocket just laying around. Oh, there actually was at the time. Really? Yeah. Yep. You had two Apollo units. Okay, I did not know that. I thought they had been scrapped by then point. No, they were mothballed. Well, so he hitches a ride on the last completed Apollo rocket to go to the moon on a search-and-destroy mission. And that's when both Jason Grant and Ray Tanner... Find the ruins of an ancient civilization, which I thought was really cool. I always like the idea of ancient civilizations on the moon. And they, of course, find a hot chick uh, in suspended animation. Uh, and she identifies herself basically through, through spacelish, we'll say, as Mera. And take it away. <laughs> um... Yeah, so let's see. It's up to that point in the film where uh, also we also find out that she has her own spacesuit. Then they're trying to escape. Of course, we kind of skipped some plot beats of this, but uh, oh well. Um, yeah, such so as the bar scene. <laughs> yes, essentially, when they get there, they find out there's like a couple of those 
moon traps or robots or whatever. <laughs> Kalium. Yeah, and uh, they take uh, the escape vessel and stuff, and they're trying to figure out, you know, how to get out of there. Well, actually, um, yeah, they take the the lander. Yeah. Yeah, when that spider came out, though, that was really cool. That was done well. Right. And then, of course, a fight breaks out, and, well, unfortunately, Ray Tanner bites the big one. <laughs> he bites the green burrito. Which sucks, because, man, was the two of them... How can he kill Bruce Campbell? You know, unless it's Maniac Cop, too. <laughs> yeah, but he goes out fighting. Um, well, he goes out fighting, kind of... You know what? The, I was just going to say, he goes out Hudson-style, and... This whole sequence in the movie, this whole area is very reminiscent of Aliens, where the ship crashes, there's, you know, they're stranded, they have to fend off attacks left and right, and little by little, they just get whittled down, you know, you know until there's just two of them left. Right. And then they... You know, so it's, it's almost like they condensed Alien down. Well, not Alien, sorry, I gotta, you know, specify, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's very reminiscent of Aliens. It's it's not quite as action packed as Aliens. It's it's really bits of both. It's more of the survival horror end towards Alien than it is Aliens. Then we get that real like sci fi part of the movie where like Jason Grant's able to have like a space tent where him and um, space girl or Mira. I, I believe her name Mira. is Mira, right? Yeah. Yeah, Mira uh, or Mira. Uh, you know, able to take off their spacesuits and. And then we'll commence the, the love making. <laughs> Suddenly boobs. The second time of the movie. Now, I then, thought uh, she was a robot, though. No, no. She's the, the alien race that they were talking about. For some reason, I seem to recall that she was a machine of some description, but. I guess they they must have like, inhabited part of the moon and colonized on it. They don't really explain too much of the backstory. Unless well, I completely missed it, but maybe that's what the comics were. Yeah. The station is there really was intended as a warning to other species. It's like, wait, whoa, there's another species that's trying to basically you know, turn you into spare parts. Right, because <laughs> uh, her husband, I assume, or boyfriend or whatever was like, a friend, I don't know, was like watching over her in stasis. And it takes the bracelet off, yeah. The bracelet off, yeah. yeah. The funny thing is, they actually got it right, because there is, to say that, there are inches of dust on her container is would be a lie. There are feet of moon dust on that <laughs> container that she wakes up from. <laughs> Dry cement. <laughs> so <laughs> it would have gone very different if there's any moisture on the set when Walter Koenig does his whole I'm on the moon. I always wanted to do this and falls down the hill by accident. <laughs> Poor Chekhov. Uh... Well, it's a very humanizing moment. They had to bring in uh, cement because you go, what is, what does moon dust look like? Because when you step into it, it had to have that poofy, whenever you see the astronauts, it's really fine, fine dust. So they tried a bunch, they tried like different kinds of dirt. They didn't have any movement to it, but, but I think uh, concrete. And so probably five years from now, I think we're all going to regret inhaling like powdered concrete for a month. But, you know, what the heck, it's for art. So then uh, they're interrupted by something outside the tent, and it's um, Bruce's head only, you know, or Ray Tanner, only he's become some sort of, like, human-robot amalgamation. Which, With the creepiest smile yes. you can imagine. <laughs> and it was 
hilarious and creepy at the same time. Which, it's very Shades of Evil Dead. In a way, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to explain this movie. It's definitely one of those like sci-fi movies where you kind of have to watch and kind of enjoy what they're trading with the visuals and stuff. Yeah, it's a very atmospheric movie. It's uh, also one of those films that uh, benefits from multiple viewing. Gives us a lot of different details uh, that can easily be missed when you first see it. Um, it's one of those things that it's for as low budget as it was, for as kind of high concept as it is, uh, it actually is written just well enough to really, really work in that regard. This is actually a real movie in that, you know, it's not just a bunch of random crap going on throughout the film. It sounds like random crap, but it actually fits together in a way that you really wouldn't expect. Right. Everything dovetails together well, and there was a comic based off this that I didn't know about up until this year. Because, like I said, I had known about Virus as a comic, and I prefer it as a comic. I would have preferred to have this as a comic book as a follow-up, but I can, I'm still looking for it. <laughs> right, we'll get to uh, the sequel that never was. Kind of is. Well, <laughs> anyways. Uh, Wolfman, you want to take over the plot synopsis? Yeah, absolutely. So, after Tanner dies, um, they're both taken captive. Um, you get to see a lot of um, uh, really good shots of the um, of the cyborgs, and I, this, awesome I, I at this point I got what? Oh, I said awesome scene. Yeah, and at this point I got to say that the designs of the Kalem are really, really cool. Like they they look good, and this is where I got to say that you can't just call it a B movie because at this point, especially in 1989, you had B movies, and they. You, you could tell. I mean, it's like there was a huge difference between something that a studio made and something Trauma made. And this is something that's pretty on par with some of the top, you know, science fiction flicks of the time. I mean, it was done really, really well. Uh, just because it's a B-movie doesn't mean it's bad, as uh, Bruce would say. Because B-movie just means that it's not the biggest budget and it's not doesn't mean bad. So, like I said, the set design and the the models and all the work that they put into this movie was really really cool what other awards real or fictitious do you think the script merits well i would give the movie the uh the effort award because to make a low budget science fiction film and still using spaceships and landing on the moon and traveling to the moon and guys in suits it's still it's not cheap to do two guys Sitting around a dinner table, you could make cheap. You just shoot in a guy's house, but everything about this had to be fabricated from the ground up. So that's what I'm most impressed with about this movie is the fact that a a friend of mine pulled off making a feature film because making feature films is really difficult, and most people don't realize that on so many levels, from getting the money to making it to selling it. You know, um, so I, I'm I'm very proud of what they were able to pull off for you know twelve dollars. Because I got half of that. They paid me $6 to do this. They only had $6 to work with. Walter got like three or four bucks at that point. And like Lots was saying, this is something that you might miss a few things. And it's it's really well put together. And you just have to watch it maybe a couple times so that you grab everything. But since, you know, we all recommended this, you should listen to us anyways. So anyways. Mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> Man, do you watch this? 
Uh, so anyway, another space shuttle um, uh, tries to intercept the alien ship because after that, they find out that the command module evidently was the last part that they needed to launch that gigantic ass ship that the, you know, the Kalem have put together to invade Earth. And this is when, you know, things really pick up. And like I said, it's very reminiscent of aliens because, well, more alien than anything at this point now, because all the action was aliens, all the tension in the atmosphere was alien. Because you have the same shit going on where you find out that, the, you know, they assimilated the alien machinery and then, um, you know, the they deduced what was going on and then they start the self-destruct sequence and then they have to escape. And they even have a thing where, you know, you use a tiny little gun and, and blow yourself away type of deal. And at that point, this is when just, you know, it's a, it's a nice, easy transition into the ending where... You know, the ship is blown up, Mara suddenly figures out how to speak English, and then she realizes that she was just a warning, you know, and then um, everything is floating around in outer space, they're about to go back into Earth, and then, it, you know, we close with what could have possibly been a lead-up to a sequel, or I think it was more or less just an ambiguous type of ending, where you have the guy from Houston Control basically saying, you know, well... Eh, nothing's going to fall back to Earth, I promise, because it'll burn up in Earth's entry. And that's the part where, like I said, I think it's a very ambiguous ending. I don't I don't know if they were planning on doing a sequel, and they, they kind of played it smart, where, yeah, the door was... Well, the door was closed, but the window was open, oh. is how I like to describe those types of endings, because, nah, we're not going to do a sequel. And then if there isn't a sequel, no one can be disappointed. But then you just have that thing of, eh, maybe something survived, and then you get a sequel out of it. And there's your launch point. I think you forgot the uh, the very end when they show the junkyard and they're in the junkyard uh, replicate uh, getting parts to you know become well killer robots. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And actually, th there's one one good thing I can say design wise is for a science fiction you know movie created on a very limited budget, they actually paid attention to physics. The designs of the Kellium pods are explicitly written as, oh, we can't open it up without destroying it. And you look at the actual shape of the pod, these things were literally designed to survive re-entry. Mm -hmm. That's a detail you don't get out of a lot of sci-fi. It really isn't, and, and, it, and it just ties into that whole window being open thing. Because maybe it could have survived, but, you know, it's just... You know, you'd have to know basic physics and the understanding of what all those things were for and what they were designed to do, you know, to say, well, yeah, that's how it happened. Um, is there anything uh, we left out or anything else you want to touch on, Rain? Uh, really, the only thing I can really touch upon that was really left out is the design of the firearms that, it, you know, our two astronauts use uh, Grant and Tanner. Actually, it makes sense. It's if you're going to design a firearm for you know zero atmosphere, then the easiest thing to do is base it off of a firearm that we know works in atmosphere and simply seal the bullets. The what they're given is literally just you know a a, a rough simulacra of a zero atmosphere SMG. Now, the actual weapon that it is, it's basically just an Uzi in a dressed-up kit. But that being said, if you're facing a metallic enemy in zero pressure, 
it's really one of the best weapons you could give an astronaut would be give them a sealed ammo source, high velocity armor piercing SMG. It actually fits. It actually makes sense for as you know low budget as it is. It's a common sense solution. Everything here is actually hard sci-fi for the most part. There are some exceptions, such as the initial reveal of the Calium, you know, pod and the you know the desiccated corpse. But everything else here, and and the tent somewhat, but most things are based in hard sci-fi. They actually got it pretty well right. Yeah, you can tell the person that did this sort of stuff was definitely uh, a fan of it and wanted to pay respect to that. And I mean, the firearms aspect, that's definitely yours and Lots's department. You would know things like that more than us. But the cool thing is, is, is it's, yeah, someone who is knowledgeable in that area is able to piece that together and go, holy shit, it works. It's definitely, it's definitely a film where they tried. I think that's something that uh, is often taken for granted, especially these days. Uh, yeah. Especially considering in 2017 they made Moontrap Target Earth, which is not a sequel at all. It's more of a reinterpret... Isn't even a reinterpretation? I haven't really watched it, but the effects are out of the asylum, and it's it's a whole different meaning of what the Moontrap is. Like, I... So basically, yeah, I, I tried doing a little bit of looking into this movie after I got done watching it, and from what I gathered, that sequel, it's just a sequel in name only. But it has the same writer and I think director, which is interesting, but whatever. To me, it just sounds like a Hollywood pitch that, like, okay, this is our plan B if, you know, the people who are paying the bills don't exactly like plan A. Right, because for a long time they tried to make uh, an actual sequel. And it didn't work out too well. Yeah. And uh, the the other thing that I also noticed too is that this movie, if you actually look, as far as reviews go, a lot it, it's pretty typical for that time where as quote unquote established critics uh, kind of ripped the movie apart. But people that have actually sat down and watched it, you know, it, it exceeded expectations. You could go into it and. It's just not something that you should be taken seriously. But even apparently, um, what the hell is that thing? Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, even yeah. Rotten Tomatoes has a really low score for it. But anybody yeah. that in a one-on-one -on -one basis has said, this is actually a really good movie. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes savaged this, which is really unbefitting because they're giving, you know, modern-day Hollywood dreck you know, high scores of 50 plus, and this gets a 29%. No. This well, is you know who more. took over that site. <laughs> yep. The House of Mouse. Well, they, they don't know their asses from a hole in the ground. Well, you know, that's why we do uh, the, well, the obscure some part of the cast to, you know, have people just rediscover some hidden gems and to those review sites. Um, that's why it is a good idea to always check the user reviews. Also, find reviewers that are tailored to these kind of genre movies that you respect and, you know, their opinion to. Like us, right? Right? Hopefully. But finishing up Moontrap. It's um, a piece of leftover sci-fi culture. Right. 
much. Yeah, th- this is definitely a movie that you would had to have known about because I, I didn't know about it until you threw up the notion of watching it. Because it's just, you know, if you're a kid, you, you'd have to catch this on television at some point, and you know, Nickelodeon not be on. Right. And we do kind of judge movies by titles, so it's like Moontrap. What the hell is this? Yeah, but this may have come out in the comic. Do not Google the Moontrap comic. Trust me. It, it just go on Amazon. You find it there. I'm trying to find a local version in the comic shops here. Don't don't go searching for it online via Google search. You will find things completely unrelated and completely not safe for work. <laughs> uh, I can't find the the budget uh, for Moontrap. Uh, it. It was fairly low for what they did, but they they actually managed to pull. You see, IMFDB. I'm pulling them up. They gave it, uh, you know, a somewhat fairer rating than Rotten Tomatoes. They gave it a five out of ten stars. I still say it's better than a five out of ten, but you know, Rotten Tomatoes savaged it for some crazy reason. Well, I'm not. I, I wasn't able to find a budget myself, but it, it's just that's a word that was thrown around. Is that it was a low budget movie, and you know maybe it was so low budget that they couldn't even keep the books because <laughs> I wonder why. But either way, it's you, you could tell where the money went, and that it actually went into making a better movie as opposed to you know ten thousand dollars on a hammer, twenty thousand dollars on a nail. And then $30,000 just to market the damn thing. Right. Well, the marketing definitely suffered because I had never heard of this movie. And this is something that, you know, if you ever got together with, like, cinema geeks, this is not a movie that would really pop up in many discussions, you know? Yeah, this is one that gets overlooked quite a bit. Although, this is a great popcorn movie if you're into hard sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that would definitely maybe help knowledge of is that if you had people that were real big bruce campbell fans which after ash versus the evil dead came out everybody oh fuck i've been a bruce campbell fan all my life i was like really what'd you think of my name is bruce huh yeah <laughs> or burn notice what about you know? bubba hotep <laughs> running bubba time hotep was amazing hell yeah bubba hotep or you really want to freak him out hey what do you feel about the man with the screaming brain <laughs> oh my god I thought Man with the Screaming Brain was fantastic. That movie was hilarious. I mean, it knew what it was. It was great. I I got interested in seeing that. It was one of those things where, like, I think I was somewhere near the end of high school for me when I saw that. Maybe. It's, it's, just, it's been so long, but I saw an Sounds advert for right. that. And it, it was just one of those things where, like, you saw it, and I'm like, this looks fucking stupid, but I know that I could be cool if I watched it type of thing. You know what I mean? So I watched it, and I'm like... Oh, damn. You know, just... Ted Amy's really awesome. Hell yeah, Ted's the man. Man with a Screaming Brain was done the same time as Alien Apocalypse, and that's what killed Bruce from ever wanting to film in Romania ever again. Uh, man with a Screaming Brain was supposed to be filmed in LA, but Sci-Fi Channel was like, Romania. So he had to rewrite the script. <laughs> oh, no. <sighs> yeah, it's... And he did Alien Apocalypse for a buddy of his, the alien in that movie. 
that, that, that's the one thing that might actually get people to see this movie above and you know all else is that if you suddenly realize that you like Bruce Campbell movies, you know, look up his filmography and you know maybe see this and you might get interested. Yeah, he's, it's Bruce being Bruce for the most part and playing the role really well. He is a really underrated actor. Well, even this is, this is a great role for uh, Walter as well. Well, yeah, Walter Kearney has always been a good actor. It just seemed like he was able to kind of let loose and kind of relax and really have like oh, a yeah. fun imagine, role. Imagine having to play Chekhov that long and being like, hey, you don't have to do this and we'll pay you for it. Huh? <laughs> well, according to lots, uh, his role in Babylon 5 was really good. Yes, his role in Bab 5 was good. But like I say, give Walter Keening half a chance and a decent script. He will go out of his way to give a damn good performance. It's that, That's pretty much definitely something that I'd agree with. Uh, and Bruce, he's just underrated as hell. A lot of people just think Evil Dead, and they don't look at any of the other stuff that he's in, or they just pass it off as be harsh, you know, shtick, or, or anything like that. I'm like, he was good in Maniac Cop. Oh, I haven't seen Maniac Cop. You haven't seen Maniac Cop. What the hell's wrong with you? You know? It's just there's a lot of movies that he has done really, really good in, but no one has ever taken the time to see it. It's just they only focus on Evil Dead, which is all but dead and buried now, apparently. Eh, it's yeah. probably for the best, because I can imagine that he's probably a little tired of playing Ash. Well, he seemed really happy to be doing it again. Maybe he was just happy to be finding steady work. Again, for notice, it was the number eight highest cable show at the time. It even got a skit on SNL. And, I mean, Ash versus Evil Dead, it's something that I had heard critical acclaim about. And then I sat down and watched it on Netflix, and I it was entertaining, and I got through about maybe four episodes of it, and then by the time that I had gotten like to episode four, I was kind of at the point where it was like, you know what, this isn't bad, but then I put the phone down, I, I went and did something, I came back, I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? You know, it's not something that's stuck in my brain, like, I have to watch this. Yeah, that's the thing with Netflix in general. It's one of those, if it's something they produce, it's going to be one of those, uh, it's great in the moment. Uh, it was stars. We're going to do an outro for uh, Moontrap. Yeah, we watch the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Don't make me come over there with a baseball bat. Yes, yeah, it's Moontrap. Watch fails, it. I'll will, will come out with something bigger and angrier. We'll have Listen lots our... come over and read War and Peace. Huh. I mean, if you get bitten by a radioactive spider, that's a B-movie. <laughs> if you dress up like a bat and fly around Gotham City, that's a B movie. So all the A movies are B movies, and they're ripping off the B movies because B movies have cool, interesting, weird, twisted plots that the A movies can rip off, change, homogenize, and spend a lot of money on and get you to go see three or four times for each. I think anybody who likes sci-fi will like this movie. Uh, it's a it's a very interesting story. I haven't really seen that angle done before, um, and it's uh, I think it's it's fun sometimes watching obscure movies because they can be entertaining in their own special way. Um, and this film hasn't been out for a while, I don't think, so it's good to kind of get it reintroduced into people's brains. Maybe we'll see how they accept a twenty six year old. Uh, sci-fi movie with especially with how different they are now I can't even imagine it'll probably be very nostalgic watching it it'll make you think of all your favorite movies from the 80s or something I don't know I'm sure it looks like an 80s movie <laughs> you know I don't know we'll, we'll see uh, time will tell 
movies tend to age well or not age well. I think this one has aged pretty well. Because it, at least it's an interesting concept. That if it's not the biggest budget, at least, you know, Tex Ragsdale and Bob, they, they told an interesting story, I thought. Yeah, that concludes our uh, review on Moontrap. Check it out. Origin Earth's Moon.